Uh, but right now we do have David Ubbin from The Athletic joining us. Uh, David, welcome back to the show. Some good, uh, some good TV moments for you the other night. In addition to your writing, <laughs> you and I used to do some TV together, and there you were. Uh, ESPN captured you over on the sideline. Uh, given how crazy that ending was with Texas suddenly racing down the field, that had to be kind of fun, David, to to be down there. For people that don't know, the, the journalists from the uh, press box get to come down a little early, and sometimes at these games, you know, we have access to come out on the field to kind of wait after the game. And uh, you would think, David, they would cut all that off like they've done in a lot of other sports, but they still college football. You know, you get to kind of come down there and crowd around the sideline. Was that? I bet that was kind of neat to experience that and and be down there when all that was happening. Yeah, you know, I was on Washington sideline, and you could feel the palpable nervousness as like because I remember uh, you know they're running the ball that last time, and I literally thought to myself. The only thing that can kind of save Texas here is if a Washington player gets hurt. And then sure <laughs> enough, Dylan Johnson is rolling around, uh, you know, grabbing at his leg, and you're just like, that can't have just happened. Uh, that one of your best players gets injured and saves Texas, which they don't have any timeouts, like 40 seconds. And in college football, you know, <clears throat> 50 seconds with the length of the field, that's a long time. And, and especially with the weapons that Texas had, it was like, you know, 15, 20 seconds, that's, that's, you're asking for a miracle at that point. But 50 seconds, it was very reasonable. Reasonable, and then, of course, they hit that play to Jordan Whittington. And in my head, I'm thinking, am I about to get a front row seat for one of the craziest college triple endings that we've ever seen? And uh, we did not get that, uh, but we did get a Washington team uh, sort of validating a season where they've really been doubted all year. So uh, it was quite a finish and quite a night. And Michael Penix Jr., I mean, that's one of the great perform- big-game performances we've ever seen to throw for, what, 430 yards, all the touchdowns. Um, and, and I've been reading the story that you and Bruce put together where coaches that have played both teams, both Michigan and Washington, talked about it. And it, it really is interesting to hear them talk about Washington in the sense that they nobody usually if somebody will step up and go yeah you could try to do this or this or this and he struggles with this like basically these coaches are all admitting there's not much you can do to them like they're just on the same yeah. page um it's just it's wild that they have that many good receivers and you know oh, Rome our man Rome Odun, uh, Odunze, or Dunze mm-hmm. I mean I, I a Dunze, yeah, I, I'm always struggling with that one. A Dunze, I, I, um, man, I, I loved him ever since that Oregon game because he's just like he just never stopped coming. It was just like amazing to watch him. Like it was like mm-hmm. everybody, every game I watched of Washington, you had to know they were going to him, and it didn't matter. He was going to make the play no matter what you assigned to them, and it really does seem like. Yet Washington always is the underdog. Isn't that weird? That game after game, it's like, okay, these guys are incredible. It's impossible to beat them. And then game after game, but let's favor the other team by four. Or let's favor the other team by four and a half. Um, yeah, you would think we would learn. Uh, 
Yeah, his Odunze's contested catch rate has got to be uh, wild. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, having watched it, you know, one of the things that, that we talked to, uh, I talked to an assistant coach who basically said he was coaching his DBs that their receivers do really well, is you don't see a lot of indicators before the ball's there. They see the ball, but they have really late hands, and DBs are taught to play the hands, and they don't show their hands until the ball's, like, right there. And that makes it really, really hard on a DB. He obviously doesn't know the ball is coming, but the, D, the uh, receiver can see it. And you saw that a lot, where Penix put the ball in the bucket, uh, and you see the receiver looking back, and it's a ball that looks like there's no chance you can complete something, or you got to throw the perfect ball. And sure enough, you throw the perfect ball. And I think they had multiple coaches tell us that, that they felt like Penix was like among the most accurate quarterbacks that they've ever seen. And it's, it's pretty wild to watch. And, you know, I get all of the knocks on him. I think they're fair. Uh, he's older. The injury history is a problem, and that's basically the two reasons why he's not going to be a top 10 pick. But when he's healthy and when he's full strength, I mean, you're talking about a first-round talent type of guy, even if the NFL draft might not bear that out. And he, he actually took off running a few times in that game. He's certainly not known for that, but I think he ran for 30 yards, so he's yeah, athletic he enough. Any, he used a couple called runs to keep Michigan, yeah. to keep uh, Texas on their, on their toes. How about some of those sidesteps he did, too? I mean, again, like he, he's a pocket yeah. passer, but that doesn't mean he can't move around and do some things. And uh, Murphy, uh, the big defensive tackle for Texas, kept beating his guy, as indicated in your story with Bruce. And yet, Penix just kind of sidestepped it like it wasn't anything. And we watch some of those other games, and we see Milrow and others just kind of like getting constantly sacked, not able to step up. When they stepped up, they stepped into a sack. I mean, it was just kind of wild to see a quarterback under duress and then turn on that second game and you see a quarterback that even under duress, he just sidesteps it like it's nothing. Um, I I don't know. I mean, David, I, I'm trying to – I'm hard-pressed to think of a greater big-game performance by a quarterback. I mean, I Watson had a huge one at Clemson. I think Trevor had one big one, right? I mean, maybe both of those were in national championship games. But – with everything that was on the line, what Penix did the other night was, I mean, nobody's put up that kind of yards, as I recall. I mean, that that was, I mean, that was, it was, uh, and it was, embar- it had to be embarrassing a little bit for Texas to get burned that badly, but, but they were just great throws, weren't they? I mean, it was just like everything was on point, it, even if, you know, even if they had decent coverage, it didn't, it didn't totally matter because he was throwing those back shoulder fades and everything. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> it's a lot of trust. It's a lot of reps. I mean, there's a ton of experience on this team. You guys have been together a long time, and that really does matter. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the pocket presence stuff. I think in college football, we see a lot of guys who are just like athletes. And when they get rushed, they flush from the pocket, and they can outrun some rushers. But I think with Penix, what you saw is a guy that can make some subtle movements keep his eyes downfield to avoid the rush, reset his platform, and throw. And I think it's pretty interesting. I was talking to the coach about this yesterday. In this era of Mahomes and Caleb Williams and all these really athletic quarterbacks, Josh Allen, all these guys, they practice a lot of these off-platform throws, right, where your feet aren't set and you're not doing it by the book, but you learn how to do these things. And I think when you have that ability and you practiced it, 
guys are more willing to do it and not make as much of an effort to set their platform where you know you're going to be more accurate. And with Penix, it seemed like he was taking as much time as he could to reset the platform. And even though maybe he could make some of those off-platform throws, um, getting back and getting set, and that's the big reason why he is so accurate. And I think there's something he said for you know the Mahomes of the world or the you know Josh Allen's of the world, um, you know, when they could, in theory, set their platform rather than just sort of, you know, sling it. And they might be a little bit more effective. And Penix, at the uh, ripe old age of 24, I think he is, has, has kind of figured that out. And that's not a lot, something you see a ton of in the modern game. I, I think it looked a little bit like what you saw Tom Brady do kind of in his prime. And it's, it's quite a thing. David Ubbin from The Athletic joining the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas. Michigan is, you know, unbelievable. The Harbaugh story is is another thing. Um, isn't that funny how it was just like the adversity, the adversity. I mean, you if you didn't know the whole background, some of the way that was all presented in the buildup, and I'm talking about mostly ESPN, it was almost like they had been dealing with off the, you know, like, Maybe something was wrong with their family members or they had overcome some incredible things. You know, it was like they, we just kind of stopped saying, hey, it was a cheating scandal of their own making, right? Yeah. It turned into this, oh, my gosh, unbelievable, the courageous Michigan folks. So it's it's kind of funny to watch it. But, uh, I mean, it, it is – he's the villain. I mean, you know, this feels like the Patriots, doesn't it? It feels like the when we thought, oh my gosh, Goodell's going to have to give Brady, you know, the the MVP trophy. He's going to have to give Brady. It's the same thing with Harbaugh. It's like he's the mm-hmm. face of this villainous type program, and yet there's a good chance he'll be up there accepting the trophy. I mean, it's it's sort of uncomfortable, but it's what we're dealing with. Yeah, that's that's where the sports. Currently, yeah, and I, yeah, I think a lot of the Michigan conversation, especially as we've gotten further removed from all of this, of like, oh, the coach got suspended for half the games, and people have been doubting all this, and it's like, yeah, how much of that was it because the guy is wearing the logo in the building? Because I, I think I've lost count. I think uh, most of it, if not all of it. So, you know, it is what it is, I guess. What did you make of uh, of the, the Baylor – uh, uh, you know, keeping Dave Aranda. I don't think we've really gotten a chance to catch up on the air since all that happened. You have covered a lot of, um, well, you know, the Aggies, of course, with uh, when Spavital was there. Uh, Jake Spavital becomes the O coordinator. Keenan Hall from SMU, which I think is a very interesting hire. It, it, Baylor trying to get back into Southern Dallas County and do a lot better than they have uh, in the last year or two there. Um, I mean, that was an interesting choice because I think the fans were ready for change. One in seven at home, three and nine, and yet Mac Rhodes said, you know what, I, I, I know this program, I know Dave Aranda, and we're going to give this another go. How surprised were you, and what do you think of the moves he's made? A little surprised. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to college football, as I said many, many times, is a talent acquisition business. And the trend lines are not great at Baylor. You've got to reverse that. You've got to recruit better. Um, it probably does help that the two big bads of the league are that are always recruited at a different level are gone. 
But that also means that in some ways expectation rises. I mean, if you look at Baylor, you look at TCU, you look at, I mean, there's like eight teams in the league now that in any given year can probably compete for a conference title. And if you're not, and you're not close, I think most of the time you got to kind of look and say, why aren't we that close? And I think when you look at Baylor, it's a talent issue. You know, the guys that they had when, when Dave Miranda was there, you watch them, and, and there's not a lot of guys jumping off the tape at you. And so, uh, for me, I think it's pretty much as simple as you, you've got to reverse the trend lines in recruiting. And, uh, you know, bringing in uh, Jake Spavitol, I think, certainly is a, a, a smart move, a guy that's got a lot of experience, um, and, and certainly a guy that comes well-regarded. Um, and so, you know, you got to do it, but you got to, you know, it's, it's the old uh, Jimmys and Joes, not X's and O's. And, and the Jimmys and Joes have been a little less uh, – highly ranked than they have been in the past at Baylor. All right. And by the way, to your point, Arizona and Utah are coming in this conference, and it's not like these other schools that just came in where it's like, well, it'll take UCF and Cincinnati and some of these teams a while to get up to speed and recruit to this level and all that. These these folks are coming in ready to go. Like, like I kind of feel like Arizona and Utah might be the two favorites of the new – the new look 16 team conference. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think especially Arizona. Um, you know, Noah Fafita, Jaden Delora got benched this year and uh, was banged up a little bit. And, and Fafita, I mean, they stumbled into a star. You, you kind of knew what Tepe Roy McMillan was. You knew that Jacob Cowling was a special guy with what he had done last year and uh, McMillan as well and what Cowling had done at UTEP. But you weren't quite sure you know, what you had behind Delora and Fafita has been a star and a really, really fun player to watch. And a guy that uh, clearly Jed Fish has a good understanding of, they know how to use him well. And, um, you know, next year it's going to be, going to be pretty fun uh, in Tucson, I think. All right. I'd like you to dig in and do a nice feature on Daquan Finn, the newest bear coming in from (laughs) Toledo. He's put up monstrous numbers, 88 touchdowns. So, uh, Keep that in mind, David, okay? I know one of your dreams has always been, what would it be like to have, like, Mosley as my editor? And I, and I think that would be – I think that's something we could work on. And, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, uh, I would enjoy that. Okay, give me your pick. Washington and Michigan, um, what is your uh, – where are you leaning? You can change your mind. Text me back if you change your mind. You hear something that makes you change your mind, but sitting here on, I believe today is Thursday. Uh, what do you uh, give me? Give me a give me a winner and give me the score. Yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately Michigan is a team that has not been that explosive all year, um, but they haven't really played an offense or a quarterback that was well equipped to make them pay for it. You know, you look at Drew Aller and Penn State, and really the three games that well, that Michigan played this year that they plausibly could have lost, right? New Hour and Penn State didn't even get close. They didn't have the weapons. And Hour didn't play well in that game either. Kyle McCord is currently at Syracuse. They had the weapons, did not have the quarterback. Bama doesn't have the weapons. Jalen Milrow, you know, he's a different kind of quarterback, not an elite quarterback, not an elite passer. Didn't have a great game. Obviously, the center uh, had a nightmare day. Um, but he's a guy that's still going to run around a lot, and, and they limited his effectiveness. But Michael Penix needs receivers are not something that, that Michigan has seen yet this year. And there's this idea, I think, because uh, Washington is such a pass-heavy team, um, that they're soft on the lines. And that is not true. And it doesn't really bear out um, at all. <laughs> you 
You know, they're not going to pound it down your throat in terms of a running game, but defensively, they're going to be able to hold up. Uh, you can run on them, but they're not soft, and they're good enough in this game, and I think they can score enough points to win this ball game and uh, take advantage of the things that Michigan has not played teams that can take advantage of yet. So I will take uh, Washington winning this game uh, 31-27. Oh, the Husky. I like that. No, Why? You know, uh, in Vegas, loves going against them, but still, uh, I, uh, yeah, 31-27 Washington. I like that one as we all get together in Houston, Texas, for this one i mean that that felt so big on the first it was like it felt like the season was over it was like wow we got these two awesome games and you have to get your mind around it dave you're like wait there's one more there's one more Mm -hmm. game here that we have Mm -hmm. to play and it should be should be a really good game i hope it'll provide you with more tv opportunities as uh (laughs) as you're down there on the i'm I'm not going (laughs) i'm going to uh, the afca convention oh okay Okay, well, that doesn't sound half bad at all. A good convention. I we got to get back into. You and I used to hang out at Sugar Bowls together. I mean, not that long ago. We got to get back to something like that. The Bears, the Bears are not holding up their end of that. This is true. Okay, hey, uh, appreciate it, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it, David Ubbin from. The Athletic, uh, joining us on the Matt Mosley Show. David and I used to do TV together for Fox Sports Southwest. It's now called Bally's Southwest. Gary Reasons used to be with us. There was a former coach from Oklahoma State. Um, But David was on there. I was on there. We had a big time. Rick Renner. Rick Renner, some people that uh, he's been on doing high school shows in Texas for a long time. Got the big blonde hair. Uh, good guy. So we always had a great time doing all that uh, together. I was trying to think of that coach. Who was the coach, Aaron, at Oklahoma State after Jimmy Johnson? His name was Pat Jones, I think. And so anyway, he was the he was the coach at Oklahoma State, and he was on the show with us. And I loved him. He was just fun and had great sayings. He kind of sounded a little like Switzer. But he was a neat guy, Pat Jones. He's still around doing stuff. Uh, Coaches Cabana, things like that. Gary Reasons called all the games for the Texas State uh, title games um, with uh, with our man, the voice of the uh, the Longhorns. So that was uh, those were those are fun. Okay, it is time for something we call. 